0: Um, in order to get the hundred K team qualifier, you need to be under eight hours and forty minutes. I really felt like I needed to just go and put it out there and say I gave it my best shot and I tried and I knew I would kick myself if I didn't at least try.
1: That was Pam Smith, and this is episode seventy-seven of the Inspired Souls podcast.
2: Hi, I'm Carolyn and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Pam Smith is a 47 year old pathologist, and mother of two teenagers who lives in Salem, Oregon. She also happens to be the new women's 45 to 49 American age group track record holder in the 50 mile, 100 K, 12 hour, and 100 mile distances this amazing performance at desert solstice in december qualified her for the u.s national 100k team she has been a steadfast presence on the running scene for two decades as she stretches the limits of her performance on the road track and trail in fixed distance and timed events in fact pam is the perfect guest for our show because her versatility as a runner knows no bounds In addition to her track records, some of Pam's most notable trail accomplishments include winning the Western States 100 in 2013 and placing second in Badwater 135 in 2018. Yes, that was the hot year. Pam will be returning to Badwater in July this year in her second attempt. Since 2020, Pam has gone through the same pandemic struggles we all have, in addition to dealing with a running injury that literally stopped the show for several months. We spent quite a bit of time talking about her return from not running a step in early 2021 to breaking four age group records less than a year later, something we think is an even more notable accomplishment. Pam has gained a lot of wisdom over her years of running and ultra running, and we know every runner will gain something from listening to her today. If you need a flicker of hope that anything is possible, here it comes. So Pam, welcome to the Inspired Souls podcast. We're so happy to have you join us today. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Today, um, Carolyn is actually got something quirky going on with her voice. So you're gonna hear a whole lot of me talking, but uh, Carolyn. Yes, you're gonna hear my very <laughs> sexy, uh, sexy
1: voice here. I feel completely fine, but I sound terrible.
2: <laughs> um, so Pam, our running podcast has really made a concerted focused effort to highlight many different types of runners, many different genres of running, runners of all ages. And Carolyn being the road track speedy runner, master's athlete, me being the the trail, I guess I'm a master's athlete too, (laughs) trail runner, master's athlete, ultra runner. We've brought those worlds together. And you as a guest who has really spent time in all different areas of running, represent all of those areas. And it's really going to be exciting to talk to you more about them. So if you could just take a few moments before we we dive deep, give us a high level picture of who is Pam Smith so that our runners know kind of who they're talking to.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'm 47-year-old female. I'm living outside of just on the outskirts of Salem. Um, I started, I ran my first race in 1989. So I'm definitely a master's runner. (laughs) Um, Ran a 5K with my dad in the rain and wasn't uh, particularly fast, but I came away with a medal. And I guess the, you know, the inspiration to keep going and doing more was there. And so um, soon after joined cross country and track um, in high school and um, I ran at a Div 3 school um, and then just got into the idea that uh, I wanted to kind of continue on with the running, you know, after college and so was doing a lot of the local 5K, 10K and um like many people kind of felt like you had to keep either getting faster or going longer and so i guess mm. the longer part was what sort of drew to me and so then you know went through the progression of half marathon marathon and and then into to ultras after that so um been doing that um i worked um, for 16 years as a full-time pathologist at Salem Hospital, and um, just recently quit my job and was, I guess, retired for seven months and am now uh, partially employed, (laughs) Um, doing some part-time and fill-in work at the hospital. And um, I have two teenagers, and so they keep me very busy as well. And then we live on four acres and uh, have like a little it's not not exactly a farm, but I have a, a big garden, and we've got two goats, a sheep, eleven chickens. <laughs> so oh I also got a little bit of the of the country girl thing going on too.
1: Holy, you have a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you mentioned that you got into running, like you kind of went along with your dad. So your was your dad a runner, and and he dragged you to a road race. Is that sort of how it went down? Oh, my dad
0: was like the classic, uh, you know middle age get into running because he I think he was starting to feel like a few extra pounds a few old things and so he was a total plotter jogger I mean he trained to run the 5k every year and you know his his big years was when he was going to train to run the 10k (laughs) so uh, yeah you know like that was a big achievement for him but um it was something that he did um he enjoyed getting out, and that was kind of his form of exercise as he was in his 30s. And um. so, did
1: you run with him?
0: I never ran with him. He ran in the 5k and I did end up beating him. And so he was very effusive with the praise because, you know, (laughs) he said, oh, I've been running for 10 years and I've never won a medal. And, you know, and then, you know, I went to my first race. And so he was very, uh, like supportive and, and, uh, very proud of that. And I think that kind of rubbed off on me too. And uh, like, I'd always, um, you know, very much looked up to my dad. And so it was like,
1: oh, well, here's, Mm -hmm. here's a way for
0: me to bond and get my dad's attention. So I'm going to keep running these races and.
1: Well, I I love hearing those origin stories, right? Because it's they definitely shape us, and it sounds like those were positive experiences for the most part, right? Like you were doing something with your dad, and you were pretty good at it, and you won the medal, and 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 so would you say that that's kind of what spurred you on? And then you said, okay, well, what about a ten k, and what about a half? Like that's you sort of got hooked into the into the scene and then discovered all of the possibilities that lay before yeah. you with running, which there's a lot, right? Yeah. I, I
0: think that uh, definitely got pulled in um, to start with my dad. And then like I said, being in cross country and track, I think that a lot of it too was kind of a sense of belonging. You know, there's mm-hmm. a group of people and you finally get to to hang with people that are like you and, and are yep. rewarding you for the work that you're putting in. And, um, you know, I wasn't super skilled at some of the more like what was considered, you know, the traditional sports or whatever. And I was pretty small. So some of the the tall like sports that, you know, really uh, are set for taller people like volleyball and basketball, I wasn't really going to excel at those. So, you know, running was a place where I could kind of find a niche to hang out with. So I think that it just continued to be something that provided more and more positive reinforcement. And, And then of course, as I improved and, you know, um, was doing better in it, that in and of itself is a bit of positive reinforcement as well, and keeps you coming back and trying for more and trying to get better. And, uh, the same thing that sucks all of us into running, right
2: <laughs> for sure, well, and you 've certainly done that you've you've pushed your limits and flirted with different ways to get better, not just faster but farther and then not just farther but faster within that farther, and you know different types of terrain and different types of running i'm curious, i guess where and and you know, we're just diving right in there, Pam, so forgive me, <laughs> but where that came from, where the I'm curious where the curiosity came from of why for, you know, decades now you have continued to seek ways to reinvent yourself with running and and push yourself.
0: Yeah. I don't know. You know, it's funny because when people originally used to say that I was competitive, I used to get very angry at that because I would be like, no, I don't care if I'm beating people. Like, I I don't care. But I realized that there's, you know, sort of multiple different aspects of competitiveness. And I think that I was very, very competitive in terms of like, okay, I just ran, you know, 20 minutes in a in a 5K. Like, can I go faster than that? Like, I need to go faster. Okay, it's a 1945. Can I go faster than that? And there was something about this idea that like, somehow you could continue to better yourself and and do mm-hmm. something better. And if I got to the point where, you know, like I was to the point I think as I got into my late 30s where it's like, well, I'm not sure that I can go faster anymore, but it's like, well, you can get better at other things. Can you get better at going farther? Can you get better at, you know, managing yourself at an ultra and stuff like that? So I, I don't know. I think it was always this drive to be like, how can I learn and get better and sort of improve on where I am today and take that going forward for, you know, the next big
2: thing? So let's talk about a recent big thing that happened. There's so much we want to talk about with you today, but let's just go right away to Desert Solstice. If you can cue up this part of the discussion for us by first off summarizing what is it? What happens at this race and how is the whole thing kind of orchestrated to allow for four age group records to be broken in one race?
0: Sure. So uh, Desert Solstice is set up as a 24-hour track invitational. Uh, like many track invitationals, it's on a high school rubberized track, 400 meters. Unlike many, though, it's just one event during the day, and that's the 24-hour run, and you have 24 hours to run as many laps as you would feel like. Um, and so, um, <laughs> you know, the to- the clock is ticking the entire time. You can take your breaks or you're eating or resting, as however you need. But of course, anytime you're off the track and not running, that takes away from your potential progress and and the, the numbers you can rack up. So during this, though, um, there's many interim marks that you could hit, you know, like the 50 miles, 100K, 100 miles and, and stuff. And so all of those are, are distances that USATF keeps age group records on. So while running this race, if you happen to hit one of those marks in under the the age group time, then that's a, a record eligible performance. Um, a lot of the people there are trying to qualify for the U.S. 24-hour team. So many of the athletes are out there running for 24 hours. My primary goal was actually 100K. Um, okay. And so I was out there, I was hoping to get a qualifier for the 100K team. As I mentioned, I'm 47 years old, and I kind of thought like i was probably too old to be on the 100K team. But I was supposed to be on the team in 2020, and then the 24 hour team in 2021, and both of those events were canceled because of COVID. Mm. And you know that kind of just left a little bit of a hole in my heart because it, even though I've been on the teams before, I just had it like this is this is my last chance. This is my last time that I'm going to be with Team USA. And they didn't happen. So then it was like, well, is, is there one more chance? Can I try again? And I I honestly don't know. I don't think my time will hold up. But I I really felt like I needed to just go and put it out there and say, like, I gave it my best shot. And I tried. And I knew I would kick myself if I didn't at least try. So um, in order to get the 100K team qualifier, you need to be under eight hours and 40 minutes um, so oh, okay. it was at 8:21,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, but the the sort of the secondary um, silver lining to that is that the previous 100K age group track record was 9:22. So um, by going for that qualifier time, then I was able to hit that, and along the way, I I was able to hit the 50 mile, and then I stayed on for the 12 hour and the 100 miles, which is a is 403. Uh, Laps around the track.
1: Okay, I have a question.
2: (laughs) There's so much I want to dive into here. So many questions.
1: But just over the weekend, I participated in an indoor track meet and I did a 3,000 meter. So 3K on the track. It's 15 laps of a, a 200 meter track. And honestly, in the 15 laps, I completely lost track. Of what lap I was on. How in the world do you keep track of what lap you're on in a 100 mile race on the track? Is someone ticking them off for you and keeping count?
0: Yeah, so one thing is, it's great to lose track if you've got a hundred miles to go. You know, if you don't count, right? it doesn't matter. You don't need to fixate on that. But yeah, you have a timing chip on, and so uh, there's actually a, a, a timing mat that you cross every 400 meters, just like a typical road um, would have your timing chips for splits and things like that. And so it tracks that. And then about uh, 50 yards or so beyond the start finish or where the timing mat is, there's a large screen TV and your um, name comes. Up with your laps and your split time. So you can actually just track the splits and what number you're on and everything like that. So it calculates it all out for you and you can see it right up there for you. So you don't have to do any counting. Trust me, I would not be able to count to 400 (laughs) while I was going around there because I'm,
2: you know, half
0: brain dead while that happens. (laughs) Um, It
2: can be a good thing, like you just said. Yeah. So before we go any further, I want to break it down here. We talked a bit about this in the intro, but Pam set four new women's 45 to 49 American age group track records at Desert Solstice this year. She set the 50 mile record in six hours, 40 minutes, 49 seconds. So the previous record was 721. So that was by over half an hour. The 100K, she came in at eight hours, 21 minutes. Previous record was 922. So that was over an hour. Blew that one away. 12 hour. In 12 hours, she ran 83.51 miles, and the previous record was 77.91 miles. And then the big one, uh, well, they're all big, but 100 miles in 15 hours, 15 minutes and 2 seconds, and the previous record was 16 hours and 8 minutes and 56 seconds. So by 53 minutes. So when somebody sets out, you just answered one of my questions a few minutes ago, what was your goal? So you were going for the 100k qualifier and record. But how do you pace yourself? You know, were you pacing for 100k and you just happened to have all these other records fall into place as well? Yeah, kind of. Um, I, I mean, it sounds funny
0: to say, um, but I, I kept saying it's kind of like the sunk sunk cost, whatever. It's like then when you get to 100K and you're eight hours and 20 minutes in and then you're like, well, it's only three hours and 40 minutes left to get to the 12 hours. So let's keep going for that. And and the math worked out really well in my favor. So the pacing I didn't do the way that I would recommend, like if I were coaching somebody that was wanted to run 100 miles, like I did terrible on that, right? Because I was focusing on 100k, which is, uh, you know, roughly about 62% of the 100 miles. So I was going a lot faster for that. If I were coaching somebody, I would try to teach them or tell them to do as as even as a mm-hmm. you know an effort level as they can. So I slowed down significantly after the 100k. But well, like right. I said the math was really in my favor because at 100k you're at 62 miles and the previous record as you mentioned was 77 miles at 5, at 12 hours. So then it was mm-hmm. like I could just do this in my head. Fortunately, I had an, enough uh, mental <laughs> <laughs> abilities at this point to do this math, but it was like okay, you've got 3 hours and 40 minutes to do 15 miles. And you break that down and well, the pace is is actually pretty reasonable pace. And I don't remember what it came out to be exactly, but it was kind of like, oh, well, if I half run, half walk, I'll be able to get there. So I don't have to be in my top form to make this. And then it was kind of the same thing. Well, I got to the 12 hours and it was, um, so I think it was, like you said, 83 and a half miles. And so then it was like another 16 and a half. And the Might record well. was was about four hours later. And so it was like, well... 16 miles in four more hours. Again, it's really not that fast. I mean, a lot right a lot of people wouldn't even consider that running probably a lot of your listeners, you know, and so, uh, you know, for me, I was still kind of walk jogging like I was shuffling and, and doing it and it was like, okay, I have to get there. Um, I actually had on paper, like, okay, the 200K and the 24-hour records, but uh, it started, the numbers start getting bigger and bigger, so to get after 100 miles, it was another 25 miles to get to the 200K, and at that point, my legs were screaming, and it's like, uh, okay, the math maybe works out, but my legs and my body are not listening anymore, so at 100 miles,
2: that was was the end of the day for me. Okay, so I... (laughs) I read something and tell me if it's correct. You actually stopped running at 101.4 miles. Is that true? That is true, so okay, again, so that 's like another six laps. <laughs> Why did you keep going? yeah, so the track is
0: is open, like I said, for twenty four hours, and there's okay. still athletes out there that are still competing, many of them who have that twenty four hour goal, so okay. it 's not like you get to a hundred mile it 's not like a five k or a ten k and you cross the finish line, and then there 's the beer garden, whatever you know like okay. this race is okay. still going on, right. and so uh, like I said, you know kind of thinking it through is like well if I could do four and a half miles an hour or five miles an hour, I could still hit to the 200 K or maybe the mm-hmm. 24 hour mark. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of was giving it a test as to, you I know, see. how do the legs feel? And like, can I keep this up? Um, I also wanted to get some food in my system and take a little bit of downtime. I put on more clothes because at that point it was getting into the nighttime to make sure I was warmer and stuff like that. And so, just to see if any of those adjustments would make me feel better and possibly be able to keep going. And I, I just, before I was going to stop, I just really wanted to make sure, you know, and, uh, that I, I was truly done. So, um, yeah, I did, I did keep that up. Um, at the time I, I was definitely, I was definitely done. Like my legs, yeah. they, they were done. <laughs>
2: you know, so. It's so interesting to me because a lot of runners in a point to point race with a finish line, will go out of an aid station in the mindset of, planning to stop, not deciding to keep going. (laughs) And you throughout this entire race were negotiating with yourself, well, I'll just keep going and I'll keep going and I'll keep going. It was kind of the opposite until the very end there.
0: Yeah. And I I will say that I also had crew. You always have people there to help you. And I had crew that were very enthusiastic and they were certainly pushing me to like get the best and do as much as I can. You know, they didn't want me to, they they were understanding, obviously, that if I was ready to quit, I was ready to be done, I was ready to be done. but they also didn't want me to drop out prematurely and then regret it. So they were like, "Just do a few more laps, see if you can get get running again mm-hmm. and stuff." And I was like, "No, this this rigamortis is permanent." <laughs> <laughs> not tonight (laughs) so um. yeah
1: well I gather like I'm not an ultra runner myself but it sounds like that's one of the things that people really learn through ultra running is that your body can be saying one thing but you actually do have a little bit more in the tank so I love the way that this was set up in that it almost chunked it down in terms of like, okay, I'll do the 50 mile and then I'm close to the hundred K and then I'm close to the 12 hour. And it almost was like that little carrot dangling in front of you the whole time. But at some point you drew the line and said, you know, I'm not going for the 200. Like it's, it's too much. So my question is, As you think back on it now, like you you say, I don't want to regret anything. So do you regret anything or Mm. are you completely satisfied with how it, it all unfolded?
0: No, I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with that. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, my goal was out there was to go out there and get the hundred K time. And, um, I was, I, I achieved what I wanted to do with that. So the other stuff were, was bonus. That was all bonus. I was really happy that, uh, my legs held up for that. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I think, uh, you guys are aware, but maybe not the audience, but like I started off January 1st of last year and I, literally went out the door and did not make it a quarter mile before I had turned around and was crying and could not run because my leg was in so much pain. I did not run a a continuous mile for over four months of the first half or the first part of the year uh, last year. So then to, to come off of that, I mean, the one thing that I think I got, this was the first real injury that I had ever really had, like a long, prolonged injury like that. And I think you really, I developed, at least I developed a really big sense of gratitude. And I think when I was younger, it was kind of like, of course I can go run these things. Like mm-hmm. you're young, you feel great and whatever. And then this, this came up and it was like, oh my gosh, today I just went for a run. So then to be at the end of the year and not only running a hundred miles, but running it you know really well, well and and putting really that well. that effort out there and then to to i you know had to cut myself a little slack and be like sure it would have been great to stay out there for 24 hours but like this is where I came and this is this is where I was at at that moment and so to be able to do that like I was I was very happy with that
1: Mm -hmm. and sorry I didn't mean to diminish any of your accomplishments by asking that I just you know some sometimes people do say oh yeah I I, that really wasn't everything I had more in the tank in retrospect right but it sounds like you gave it everything and you're at peace with how it all unfolded and I love that piece about gratitude
0: 24-hour racing is like 110% mental, right? Because it's like you said, there is no finish line. You have to get Mm. out there and will yourself Mm. to go another lap. And the lap is going to look exactly the same. And you're going to end up exactly the same place that you started. (laughs) And, you know, the only thing that is making you go farther is your own will. Your, you, you know, the, the tenacity that you have within you and, and the desire to get more out of yourself. And you mentioned that I went the extra six laps and I think that mm-hmm. kind of was the mental test was, am I right. being, you know, like a, a mental wimp here or am I truly like, is my body done? And so I think by going through that and sort of doing that little mental test and saying, no, I, I, I'm I trying here. I am I didn't just try to get to the finish line and, and call it quits. Like I'm, I'm trying to see if there's anything more I can do. And by the end of that next, you know, I think it took me like half an hour or something to do all those laps. I was going really slow and, and I was not warming up and my legs were not getting, uh, any better. And I was just, like no, <laughs> like it was over, yeah. and then I was like, okay, this isn't this isn't a point of mental weakness. Like this is where I'm at right now. This is a decision, and I've, not I've a reaction. Given, yeah. I've given what I've had to give for the day, and so by doing that and and really believing that and accepting that, like no, I don't have any regrets. You know, the the awesome. races that I have regrets are, are the ones that are like, oh yeah, I'm sure I could have walked that to the finish, mm-hmm. but I didn't. You know, and that's mm-hmm. that's where you start to kick yourself. And on this one, it was like. No. I mean, could I have walked for six more hours or whatever it was? Yes. But I don't think I could have hit any of the marks that would have been satisfying to me. So Mm -hmm. it didn't provide anything that was like additional benefit to keep being out there.
2: Interesting. So you mentioned being injured last year, you know, and before that was a year of COVID (laughs) then was a year of injury and you came back from from you know my vantage point stronger than ever or at least running very 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 well like you said tell us a little bit more about about your injury and I know you went through a rehabilitation process got into some routines was that injury in some ways a mixed blessing like how did you come out of it so strong and running so well
0: yeah. So I first entered my hamstring in 2018 when I was training for Western States and it's a very hilly race. So of course you want to go do these very hilly runs and running down a mountain sounds like great training for a mountain race, except for then I strained a hamstring and it um, actually had a, a mild avulsion at the insertion site. And, um, Saw some sports med people who said it was severe enough that they would recommend doing tenotomy with a PRP injection and um, and then doing some rehab after that. And I had Western States, which is a 100-mile mountain run on my schedule, and then I was going to follow that up with Badwater, which is 135 miles through Death Valley, about a month later. And so I was like, okay, well, let's see if I can get through these two events, and then we'll worry about... (coughs) dealing with the hamstring stuff and so that's what I did and I I didn't get to train the amount that I would have wanted to for those races but both of those races went by fine and my hamstring never bothered me and so then I was like well I just did 235 miles of racing on this hamstring and now they're telling me to do these procedures that's going to take me out for four or five months like why would I do that so I I didn't and I just did some rehab and I got away a little bit from doing the trail running because the hill stuff sort of aggravated it as well as some of the technical terrain where I'd Mm -hmm. have to take some jarring steps. So Mm -hmm. started doing a little bit more, um, road running stuff and was also training for the 24 hour worlds. And I basically was getting by fine until the 24 worlds in 2019 in October. And that race is the race that I would say that I poured more of myself into than any other race. Like I was a wreck at the end of that Mm. race, but I also had an amazing performance at that race. But afterwards I just wasn't the same, like running 153 miles in a one mile loop around something for 24 hours on road. It was all on asphalt. Like my body took a beating from that. And so I was just kind of like not great, but as you said, then 2020 hit COVID came around. So, and for me, COVID, uh, really came with a sense of, um, like I, I struggled with motivation and kind of the desire to, to get out and train because, I enjoy running, but I particularly enjoy running from like the athlete standpoint. And I I like to train. I like to have a formula. I like to have a reason. I like to have a process. And then when all of that was thrown out and it was like, well, I don't have people to train with. I don't have a schedule. I don't have a race. I kind of lost my way and was sort of like, well, what's the difference between if I go out for four miles or I go out for 10 miles? both of them are the same benefit for my health. Uh, uh, you know, like you only need a certain amount to get all of the health benefits out of running. So then why go out there and keep, you know, making myself feel miserable. And at the same time, I was kind of struggling with this sort of mild injury. So I just, I sort of floundered a bit during COVID. And then when things started to open up again, I started running more. That's when the injury kind of came Mm -hmm. more to a head because it was like, Oh, well, I hadn't really addressed any of the lingering problems from the 24 hour worlds, and I hadn't really been putting high volume on it, so it wasn't particularly strained. But then when I started to go, so Um, yeah, so I, I started, uh, like towards the end of the year, just having hip pain and back pain and hamstring pain. And I called it my Bermuda triangle because I couldn't Mm -hmm. tell what was what and it would kind Mm -hmm. of rotate all around. And I actually got diagnosed. I have a full thickness, uh, anterior labral tear on my anterior mm. labral tear on my right hip i yeah. have a 25 i still have the 25% avulsion and uh, detachment of my hamstring tendon and then i had some moderate to severe um facet arthritis in my l4 l5 and yet none of those things necessarily uh like i could pinpoint is like this is the problem or this is what's causing it and i i think some combination of that in conjunction with aging and probably changing up some of my volume, I think I just got really weak in my glute and piriformis and all of it just contributed to this sort of like dead, dragging, painful hip. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's not a medical term, but <laughs> like that's how it felt from my perspective, you know? And so, um, I mean, there's definitely pathology there, but at the same time, like you know, a lot of women have labral tears that are completely asymptomatic. And Mm -hmm. looking back and thinking about how I had with my hip, I think I've had it for a lot longer than this. It just, it was something that when I started having hip pain, it got diagnosed. And some of this other stuff as well, like, again, the hamstring thing has been there for at least three or four years. And so I don't really know. So But in December, I went on this muddy, wet, rainy run, and it was supposed to be like a 20-mile run or something like that, and we got 10 miles in, and I was limping, limping, and by 12 miles in, I was like, I'm not running anymore. Like, I can't. I was, like, whacking myself in the hip, and I was like, I'm just – I'm done. And so then I took three weeks off at Christmas, and then that was when I went out for this run right at New Year's, and I – was like, okay, I've rested for three weeks, like everything's going to be fine. And I went out and I was like, no, a quarter mile in, I'm crying. And so it was like, Mm -hmm. it's not fine. And, um, you know, I guess it kind of hit me with the reality of like, okay, just resting and doing low volumes, not helping this, like, you're gonna have to do something else. And so I definitely had the little pity party thing. But uh, I I think I just had this epiphany that was like, you have to act like an athlete, even if you can't train like an athlete. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, yes, I had always had this schedule or this process that I was going to go through to get to a race. And now I had to kind of apply those same things. I had to have a schedule and a process that I was going to get to, to be uninjured. And then focusing on the other things that you focus on as an athlete. I had to eat better. I mean, we went through the holidays and it was like, well, I'm not running, might as well eat and drink tonight. <laughs> and, you know, and so then it was like, no, you need to eat and drink like an athlete and you need to go to sleep like an athlete and you need to wake up and do these things. So I, I sort of got in this mindset of, like, I'm going to approach my rehab like an athlete and, and sort of my rehab is my training now. And yeah. so mm-hmm. that's what I kind of had, had to do for that. Um, and I think that mindset helped me at least because it was like, oh, I'm no longer sort of like a loser on the sidelines. Like I actually have a purpose and I'm doing something.
2: Yes. So what, what approach to rehab did you take? Like you talk about you obviously weren't, you were treating symptoms, not causes, right? By just resting and letting things settle. And as soon as you did something, the cause was still there or the whatever it was that was the problem was still there. And then the symptoms reared their ugly heads again so what approach did you take with your rehab it sounds like did you address some of the weakness issues in your glutes and and such yeah so i, I mean i
0: was i was all in so it was kind of a multi prong thing so i did get prolotherapy into okay. my hamstring um i got a prp injection into my hip and i actually had a nerve ablation in my back to try and get all of those things kind the of like bermuda
1: triangle <laughs> the
0: bermuda triangle got to got to knock that down but In terms of the rehab part of it, I started with, um, you know, just traditional PT and that was primarily aimed at hamstring strengthening and things got a little better, but it was never great. And after about three or four months, I well, at the end of April, I was still only running like two miles at a time. And I really couldn't get much past that without really feeling like I was falling apart and kind of desperate. I um, just sort of heard from a a friend that was like, oh, well, have you tried this place um, in town? They do um, the teachings of the Postural Restoration Institute. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like voodoo. I mean, it sounds <laughs> kind of hokey and whatever, you know, they're going to realign all this. But I was like, but I need somebody to tell me something. And I, I need to to do something. And so I was kind of desperate and willing to go in with completely, uh, like putting my trust in somebody else and willing to try whatever. And so they did a lot of assessment. And so, you know, they were of the mindset where it's like, okay, sure. Your hamstrings hurting you, but is that actually your problem? Like, what is your left hip doing mm-hmm. what is your rib cage doing what is your diaphragm doing what are your quads doing and so I, they did kind of this full body assessment of everything and you know i i turned out i had Very very weak core diaphragm, um, very very stiff back muscles, and so a lot of the stuff is now not quite as much directed at the actual injury, but sort of all of these things that are probably contributing. And now I'm a believer because you know they say, okay, well you've got this weak glute muscle, and like do all these glute exercises, and I'm like, but my glute doesn't hurt me, my glute's fine. They're like, just do the glute exercises, and I, you know, so I shut up and I, I just diligently do them, and then. I'm like, oh gosh, today I ran five miles without pain. And they were like, okay, if you can run five miles, then tomorrow I'll try six. And and so it was just kind of incremental from there. And so um I was very, like I said, I I took this as kind of like my training program. I was mm. very diligent about it. So for the first three months that I was there, I was going five days a week for at least an hour at a time. And Now I'm still trying to get there at least three days a week um, to do all that stuff. And it's stuff that you do not need special equipment for. Mm -hmm. It's not complicated. You could Google and you could find all of these exercises on YouTube and yet If you tell me that and leave me in my house to do them by myself, (laughs) I absolutely will not do them. So I needed this to like get out of my house, go to this. Um, It's kind of like a hybrid gym physical therapy place. Um, It works like a gym and that you can just show up and they have gym space, but it. Um, the physical therapy part of it. He's not a physical therapist that's, that's uh, working with me. He's a trainer, but he's uh, obviously had some training and physical therapy aspects. And Mm -hmm. he writes a program with the exercises and he's there kind of watching everybody on the floor and correcting them and doing these things and making sure they do them. And so I kind of needed that accountability to make sure that I did all of those Uh, you know, mundane and and not always
2: fun. (laughs) Not
0: always (laughs) sexy things, right? Not not sexy
2: at all. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you've, you've posted something. I can't remember if I saw it on your blog or whether it was Instagram about doing the work and sometimes it's not sexy, but we need to just do it anyways. And I'm hearing from you that it was a combination of very holistic, comprehensive, um assessment of your body addressing weaknesses addressing imbalances not laser focused on the pain but what's what's causing the stress to this area <laughs> let's de-stress that area and then ultra consistency led you to a place where you were able to build back up your mileage and from april of get correct me if i'm wrong on my timelines here april of 2021 mm-hmm. you were still maybe only running 2 miles at a time to when was Desert Solstice? February? December. December. December okay, 2021. Well, just ones off. December 2021. So in less than eight months, mm-hmm. you're setting age group records at 100 miles. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: and that's why I said, like, I have to be really pleased with that and that oh, sense of gratitude okay. that, like, I now have. And so, you know, it, it's always hard because I think um, we're uh, – are, like the person that I compare myself to most is myself, obviously, and so it's mm-hmm. like, oh, but my PR in this distance mm-hmm. used to be this and used to be that, and so I need to I need to keep reminding myself to step away from that because not only am I older, but coming back from this extended period of injury and not having the consistency in the training, and and so looking at mm-hmm. it from that, and that's not always easy to do. Like I I definitely get caught up, and they're like. Oh no, I'm getting so slow and uh, it's it's so much worse than my time used to be and whatever. And so I kind of have to consciously like shift and be like, Yeah, but you you just ran a hundred miles. Like Yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. be be happy with that. So
2: Well, you know, many runners what your story just, I think is so hope filled because how many runners that I've worked with, Carolyn's worked with, um, come to us saying, my doctor told me to stop running, to never run. Like it hurts. Mm -hmm. just stop. Or you have this torn muscle or you have this image. Uh, Dr. Sylvia Lohan, who is a running physician I worked with in the past and was on our podcast last year. She always said to me, Kim, treat the patient, not the picture, treat the patient, not the picture. (laughs) Like you said, so many of these the imaging studies we have are actually, people didn't even know they had these problems. They were asymptomatic. They may or may not be relevant to the the issue. And you've proven that, you know, you don't just have to stop living or stop running because you have some pain. If you do the work, um, there is hope. Uh, not everybody's going to get back to running 100 miles, but they might get back to running whatever is relevant for them, right? Like even 10K is better than zero K, right? Absolutely. No, I mean, I I think there's
0: definitely as we age and get injured, uh, you have to start to uh, modify your expectations a little bit. Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody should like have to come to a a dead, dead halt with, uh, you know, be like, okay, well, I'm just completely done forever sort of thing. And so it's like, there's got to be some happy middle ground somewhere in there.
1: Mm -hmm. And I love, I love what you said about you have to act like an athlete. Like Mm -hmm. you almost channeled all of your competitiveness into your rehab, it sounds like. And then that allowed you to get the traction going again. Like it allowed you to be motivated because you're like, you have a purpose and something to get up for these, you know, series of exercises or what have you. And it also sounds to me like you really know yourself too. Like I know that if left to my own devices, I'm not going to get these done. So I'm going into the physio place five times a week. And I think that there's a lot that we can all learn, like scaled back to our own, you know, within the context of our own goals from your story. Um, But I wanted to circle back around to, these long 24 hour uh, 100 mile whatever <laughs> events on the track what is it that you just love about running mm. in circles like what <laughs> what do you d- like discover about yourself in that kind of journey the training or the event itself I'm super curious
0: yeah so I, I don't want to say that I love running around in circles that that makes me sound particularly weird but <laughs> <laughs> I think there is something that's very appealing to it because it is running in its very purest form. Mm. You know, there are no elements. There are no accessibility issues. There is no terrain. There's no, I mean, even the track has got lights on it. So even in the night, you're not, you're not dealing with visibility and your crew and the aid and everything is there every quarter of a mile. Like you can get whatever you need. And you know the surface is ideal for running. You know, as as easy easy as possible uh, during that time. So I think, I mean, it's sort of like, yeah, you can go out and and run some of these distances, but what what time could you run them in how fast could you run them in and so for these longer events um you know the terrain is always an awesome challenge but if you're just focusing on time these looped venues really Mm -hmm. allow you to sort of focus on on that the other thing that i think um that the looped uh format really is conducive to is the social aspect of running and racing because when you run a race you know you might have 10 people in a really crowded race that are running somewhat close to your pace Um, but if they're even 10 seconds ahead of you or 10 seconds behind you you're not going to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with them you're not even Mm going to have a word with them um, you might not even recognize them at the finish line. You're on a loop with 30 or 40 of the same athletes. And no matter what your pace is, whether you're running faster than somebody or slower than somebody, you will pass them or they will pass you at some point. And so it's, it's very nice because you see these people. And so you're like, wow, you really get that sense of we're all in this together. You get to know people. And even at the the fast, those paces that I'm running, you know, a 15 hour, hundred mile is, is about nine minute pace. I mean, this isn't sprinting pace. Like there's a, a point where you can get a sentence out. You can mm-hmm. talk to somebody, you can say hi and, you know, get that encouragement out. So it it really does feel like, Hey, we're, we're all racing this together and we're all going to get through. And you also see what other people are going through. And, and that kind of inspires mm-hmm. you to keep pushing yourself as you see those other people pushing and, and what they're doing as well. So I don't know. And, and again, just the challenge, just the, like, what, what can I do? Like, how far can I get? And you always, you know, hear stuff about, you know, like from the trail racing, well, you know, it's I ran this time, but there's this much elevation and then it was (laughs) raining and it was muddy and oh, the times were 40 minutes slower this year than they were last year. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody's kind of trying to calculate out these times that they would have could have should have run. And it's like, well, on the track, it's like, there it is. Like, this is the time. No hiding. Run what you can run. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. So you almost, I think, answered a question that just popped up in my mind. Why not treadmill records? Is it the social difference? Like, treadmill is very purist too. Like, same conditions, same wall in front of you even for the entire time. Um, have you thought about doing treadmill records or... So this is going to sound funny, but like, I think there's a limit to my mental,
0: <laughs> my mental, but like that's where it ends. Okay. I've, I've actually never even hit 20 miles on a treadmill. I've tried four or five yeah. times and I always make it to about 17 or 18 when the movie runs out. And then I'm like, I hate this. I have to get off. Like <laughs> but I'm going crazy. <laughs> <great>. and, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think, I think some of it too is sort of like, the race day performance aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, perhaps if there was like some event and, you know, I was on this showcase and everybody was watching me or whatever, and I felt this big adrenaline rush for my treadmill, then I would like focus all my energy into it. But when I just show up in my basement at 5 a.m., and then it's like, let's go run on the treadmill. I don't know. I It just – it doesn't inspire me in the same way, and um, I know a lot of people would be like, well, running laps on the track doesn't inspire me either, and that's okay. I just – like that, I don't know. It hasn't ever really
2: appealed to me or grabbed my attention. Well, the way you describe it, you know, with yeah. with fellow runners circling you and your crew and stuff, there is – there is still a very much a race day feel to a track situation. Yeah, and this, yeah. Is, this is probably not the party yeah.
0: that you, most people would want to be invited to, but there is kind of a party <laughs> atmosphere out there because they've got the loudspeakers going the entire mm-hmm. time, you know, they've yeah. got people out there serving food and, you know, the lights are on the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. They do try and keep the energy up. Um, so again, I think some people who have done that with their treadmill record attempts, you know, they they get a room and they get that, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. sort of, uh, like, energetic vibe going and that maybe it has a little bit more of that takes the doldrums off the off the treadmill running um i did a couple years back sign up for something that was called the 48 hour dreadmill challenge and the challenge uh this is like two steps more than the goggins or 10 steps more than the goggins challenge but this is to run 100 out 100 miles on a treadmill in 48 hours oh, and it was like the most miserable thing I've ever done. Like that was, again, I was like, oh, this will be easy. I'll just, you know, get up. I'll run 20 miles. I'll be 20% done, you know, a couple hours in and I'll have the rest of the time to just run and walk however I feel like it. And I was like, you know, 50 miles in and I'd be like, oh God, I have to go get back on the treadmill. (laughs) So I I did complete it, but then I was like, oh my God, I I never want to do that again. And by the end of it, I was doing like, three miles at a time I was like I'll do three miles and then I'll take a break and then I'm like I'm in a break for two hours and then I'll be like (laughs) oh I have to get back on the treadmill so I I don't know I I just haven't had the same I guess mental focus for treadmill events
2: so before we leave this this topic of conversation I have to ask one more follow-up question bakes backyard type events Uh. have those ever appealed to you Actually that one does.
0: That one does. Um, I think it has that sense of camaraderie about it. And I do think it has this sense of unknown as to like how far and how much can you do?
2: Um, no finish line, like not even a time limit. Yeah. And, and all
0: the mental games, like I love the whole mental game aspect and like how, how much screwy stuff is going on in your head and how do you fight through all of that? unfortunately bigs has gotten like so big and popular now that, you know, it requires, uh, these, uh, you have to do a qualifier, qualifier. race ahead yeah. of time. And so mm-hmm. the problem, the biggest problem with ultra running and especially going longer with this is just that the number of races that you can do well in a year you're extremely limited by. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, you know, if you have to do a qualifier for bigs and you have to do, you know, 200 miles or something to get a qualifier and then get to bigs and be in shape to do, you know, 250 or whatever Mm -hmm, they're doing mm -hmm. miles, 300 miles, something like that, you know, you're pretty much dedicating your entire year for, for that. And Right. If that's your thing. I mean, that's great. Like it's obviously a really strong challenge and a, a great race and it gets a lot of publicity and everything like that. But, um, you know, I've I've put other things on on my list like, like this year. I've got Badwater that I'm yes. doing and um, I've I've focused on um, running for Team USA. Um, and that's always been a priority for me. And I've had Western States many years. And so there's kind of these other races. And so unfortunately, you just kind of have to pick and choose the ones that you want to put your energies into. And I've never, um, I guess at this point prioritized doing an entire year, just dedicated to something like Biggs, but absolutely that one appeals to me for sure.
2: Yeah. I think you have the exact personality and mindset. To That's s- what my husband think.
1: keeps saying. He's like, go do it, do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned bad water mm-hmm. and, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you did Badwater or uh, you came second, second female, six overall in 2018. Is that right? That's correct. And you're going back again this year. So if I understand correctly, that is a race where you really learn a lot. Like it's the course itself is so, so incredibly tough. So maybe you could just start by explaining what the Badwater course is and how you hope to kind of tackle it differently or the same as you did in 2018.
0: Yeah, so uh, Badwater is a 135 mile road race, and it goes from the Badwater Basin at 282 feet below sea level, uh, the lowest point in the continental United States, to the Whitney Portal, um, uh, which is about 9,000 feet, I think, Um, and Mount Whitney being the highest point in the continental United States. Um, And so kind of this appeal, I guess, from, you know, going from lowest to highest was where this whole idea, uh, the notion of bad water got started. They do it in July because, I mean, why not add just the challenge of having scorching heat (laughs) to the 135 miles, you know, that'll make it even more fun and the the really unique thing about badwater is that you know most of these long distance races you are have certain set aid stations that you're running between and badwater you have a van that drives along with you and they can t- more or less stop wherever you want them to. Right. So you have your aid available, but you have to come up with some sort of strategy and plan as to where you want them to stop and how frequently. Right. And obviously you want them to stop stop frequently enough that you're getting everything you need and you're getting cool, but you're wasting a lot of time when you're stopping and, and talking to your your crewmates and stuff. So you got to find this, this balance. And, um, you know, but then it also comes into like, how are you packing the ba- van and who's going to be in it and who's, how are you, organizing all of your stuff? And what are you going to need for this whole race? Because you're going to be living out of a car for two days and you've got to support all your running from this car. And so that is the stuff that really came into like what you learn at Badwater. And I mean, we did a lot of talking to people ahead of time, but nothing is a learning experience better than just being there and and doing it. And so, um, Coming, coming away from that, I feel like, uh, I feel better equipped to do that. I also went and crewed somebody at Badwater last year, so I actually saw it from the other side and like, okay, what's going on in the van and how are we taking care of the runner and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, was very useful as well.
2: Yeah. So the year you did it, 2018 was also an extraordinarily hot year, if I recall, Yes, hopefully this coming year won't be as hot it might. But um, are you going to address heat different in any way compared to what you did in 2018 with what you learned? Yeah. So I, I honestly thought that Badwater was going to be a
0: race for me that was like a one and done. Like you do it, check it off, be like, yay, I did it. That's off my bucket list. And and that's really how I anticipated it. Um, And I think I really felt like I did not have a very good first half at Badwater. I left a lot out there and that it kind of set up that, that drive and that uh, obsession is like, I can do better. I got to go back and do better. And not necessarily for a better place or for a better time, but just to be like, I didn't screw up. And I felt like at, uh, 2018, I screwed up, and I think a lot of it had to do with the heat that was there. Um, as you mentioned, it was the hottest year, and the record, the uh, official recorded temperature is 127, but the pavement temperature was actually recorded at 156. So, I mean, you just radiating heat; it it really is like running through a, an oven or a blow
2: dryer. A warming in your oven, face or like whatever. when you set yeah. your oven to hold your food warm, it's like between 150 and 200 degrees. <laughs>
1: How do you train for that in Salem, Oregon? (laughs) (laughs) So I I am actually one uh, of the notion that I do
0: primarily um, passive heat training. I know there's a lot of different theories on heat. Some people do active heat training where you're actually exercising and being hot at the same time, um, either wearing puffy coats and going for a run or else um, doing exercises inside the sauna. Passive heat training is basically you just sit there with your body and let your body temperature get up. And I primarily do passive. I I think that as long as you're doing a lot of training and you're in good shape, and I I typically would run before getting in the sauna, the, the key to heat training is just keeping your body temperature up. So for me, it's a lot more comfortable. Uh, like I'm just trying to take the easiest way to do the heat training, but it's a lot more comfortable to just sit there in a sports bra and like read a magazine than to be trying to do like jumping jacks in the sauna (laughs) and like other people are around you and you're like flinging sweat everywhere. You're like, don't mind me. (laughs) So, and I don't want to go running through town in five puffy jackets or whatever.
1: Um, Yeah. You
0: know, other people have done it and I like whatever mm-hmm. works, that's, that's great. And whatever you're willing to do, like, that's fine. It's just not for me. And, um, you know, I have one study that I found that basically said that passive exercise did just as well mm-hmm. as, or passive heat training did just as well as active heat training. As long as people were, um, additionally, doing the same amount of like fitness training, so it was like okay, well right. you, you have to continue running. You still have to do the running, and so a lot of the studies that showed that active training was better than passive training didn't have the passive group doing any exercise. So the active group was not only getting the benefit of the heat training, but they're also getting the benefit of the exercise. So, uh, you know, I don't know if this is true or not, but uh, that's in my mind how I rationalize is it that I can just sit there and read people magazine?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to have to remember that. Well, I did want to, before we, we wrap up the podcast, ask you this one, I guess it's a multifaceted question. I mean, you are an athlete who has been around for a long time running very consistently for like over two decades now. Um, as you've, yes, I'm going to use the word aged, <laughs> as, you've be, as you've moved through, you know, those decades of life, what are some of the things you've had? You know, I could ask you, what did you do to sustain your abilities to perform? But I'm going to phrase it more like, what did you have to start shifting and changing with regards to maybe nutrition as you've moved into your 40s? Maybe you know, has, have you had to add in more recovery than you used to? Have you dealt with hormones differently? You know, if that's not too personal of a question, you know, what things have you done and mindfully maybe adapted in your forties that has kept you performing at a high level?
0: Yeah. I mean, I I do think that, uh, probably getting into the forties is a, is a challenging time because I don't, necessarily feel old on a day-to-day basis, but yet when I go for a run, there are definitely differences that I notice. And I'm like, okay, this is because of aging. And um, so for me, yes, recovery has been huge. Um, I, I I've noticed a, a significantly decreased recovery, particularly after some of these longer races. And, um, you know, I used to do a 50 K as kind of like a tune up race three weeks out before some of these longer events, like a hundred, hundred milers. And now I'm like three weeks, I'll still be tired after that. You know, like I, 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 after some of these big events, it's taking me three or four weeks to really feel like I'm, I'm recovered and getting the pop Back. Um, and I also noticed that on, on just a day to day basis as well. You know, the amount the volume that I can put in is not the same as I used to be. Um, the hardest thing to, to sort of accept and, and digest is the speeds. You know, I'm still doing some of the same types of track or tempo workouts, and the speeds I can hit are very different than before. <laughs> and So it's like, okay, you, um, just got to keep that in mind. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of it is sort of uh, the mental aspect of it is that like, you know uh, the reality is no i'm I'm not gonna be as good as my thirty year old self, but you know i keep the 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 thing that I keep telling myself I'm not dead yet, I'm not dead mm-hmm. yet, you know, so like I'm gonna keep working, I'm gonna keep having fun, I'm gonna keep enjoying this, I'm gonna keep trying to be the best I can at this point mm-hmm. um to do those things nutrition wise also played a big issue because I think a lot of women particularly women, some men too, but women get into a lot of um, immune dysregulation. And we see that in autoimmune disorders, um, increasing rates of asthma and allergy is women get into their 40s. And, and mm. I had a little bit of that. Uh, well, I guess I had a, quite a bit of that because um, it in my early forties, I I started developing asthma. And so I've had to deal with, uh, you know, training and racing with asthma. And then just, uh, about a year and a half ago, I actually got diagnosed with some food allergies. So now, and dairy being the biggest one. So now having to kind of dance around like the foods that make me feel the best and not Mm -hmm. being able to eat everything. Um, the other part of the food stuff is that like, I could not drink anything at all, but if I eat a really crummy meal, I can wake up and feel hungover and you're like, okay, I, I, you know, there's just (laughs) like a certain amount of junk food that I can tolerate, but there's a limit to that. And if I go beyond that, like, I'm just not going to be able to digest it and process it the same way as, as when I was younger, unfortunately. So I do probably eat a little bit cleaner now, mostly just because that's what makes me feel better.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think as I've noticed as I've moved into my forties, yeah, my body's tolerance for, you know, (laughs) cheating has definitely gotten a lot less. It it speaks to you. I can't absorb some of those bad habits as easily as I used to. So it keeps you more honest. I think if you listen, if you listen to your body and you're actually paying attention and you want to, you want to perform well, you have to listen.
0: Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the other thing with, at least for me that I've noticed is that like, I don't feel like, uh, like if anything, I'd say my diet and my nutrition is better. And yet I kind of feel like, my body just wants to be a little softer. (laughs) And that's probably kind of the hormone thing that you're getting into. Mm -hmm, And I mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, aging, aging athletes and aging women, uh, tend to lose muscle and lose strength pretty quickly and, uh, or pretty easily. And so, you know, I, again, both with the rehab and sort of as just as a maintenance program, I think focusing on the strength and and keeping as much muscle as possible is something that I've had to work into my uh, routine my training routine.
1: Yeah, as I listen to kind of the volume, the output that you do, I always wonder about like, the ability to eat enough when you're exercising that much. And then you cut out dairy, or you know, you have a a intolerance or an allergy to something. And then all of a sudden, those foods are off the table. So have you ever fallen into like a relative energy deficiency of any kind to your knowledge? Or are you pretty good at You know, getting enough in. I've
0: I've been uh, I don't know lucky or whatever, but or just uh, diligent enough that uh, it 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 hasn't been something that I've gotten caught up with. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think it's hard to be a woman and not have some sort of hangups about body issues and whatever. And I never actually really did um, in my teens and early 20s. It wasn't until I started running competitively and then kind of looking around and being like, oh, I'm actually bigger. I have bigger quads and the bigger butt and whatever. I'm bigger than these people. But I, I was able to somehow, I think probably more through trail running, Get this idea, like I, I call my butt my wattage cottage, you know, and so it was like <laughs> oh that's that's my power source and so when I was able to think of it that way, so I never actually had any like super low body fat or um, I never had uh, like missed periods or anything like that, and so in that regard, I think like my long term energy has been good. I do think I notice it on day to day that there'll be days where, you know, you do a couple of long workouts or long runs and then I'll crash pretty hard and then I'll look back and be like, oh, yeah, that's because you forgot to eat lunch that day or or whatever. And so um, I try now like, obviously I don't like force feed myself if I'm not hungry at all, but I just try to keep a schedule with eating. And so it's like, like I I say this about training, like there are some days you may not want to go for a run, but you go because you know that it's good for you. And that's kind of the same thing. There's a lot of days I get back from a run in the morning and I'm like, yeah, breakfast doesn't really sound that good. It's not that I'm full. Like I just, but it's just like, eh, it doesn't feel good. But it's like, well, no, you you need to eat your breakfast. And if I don't eat (laughs) If I don't eat that, not only am I not fueling myself well for, uh, you know, the energy portion of it, but it also sets me up to then be more susceptible to snacking and eat, eating the junk food and all the other problems that come in there. So it's like, well, if I stay on these schedules of eating three to four meals a day, then I do better with, with that. And um, when I was training uh, really hard for Western States and, and doing some of my biggest stuff, I I had kind of my own little system that I called carb matching and so I was just trying to match the amount of carbs I ate every day to what the next day's workout would be and Mm. so it kind of had like a a low range a middle range and a high range and if I knew that I was going to be doing that you know a 20 mile run the next day I tried to the day before eat a higher range of carbohydrates and so I wasn't calorie counting and I wasn't super like micromanaging the stuff, but I had kind of a range that I was targeting. And there are days when, you know, you're sitting down and you eat 200 grams of carbs at dinner of just white rice. I mean, it's yeah. a huge amount. And you're like, oh gosh, I, <laughs> I got to finish all this. And like, whoa. So, um, so yeah, and I, I think that's kind of how I've sort of managed that. And fortunately I haven't, I haven't fallen into too big of a hole.
2: I like your approach. It's relaxed, <laughs> but yet it's aware, right? Yeah, you're intentional. You're, yeah, you're intentional. Exactly. Well, we've, we've certainly enjoyed this conversation so much. I don't want it to end, but we, we do need to wrap it up and let you get back to your life. So <sighs> this is called the Inspired Souls Podcast for a reason. What does running mean to you and how has it inspired your soul along the way?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think running to me first and foremost is kind of like a s- escape and a time of like peace and and being with myself. And there's so much going on and I think that running is the place where I can get out of that and get out of my worries and and the like the concern with everything else. But um, I think I've touched on this a little bit in other, in some of the other questions, but I think, I mean, it's it's still a very huge source of community and belonging mm-hmm. for me, and I think that that mm-hmm. is something that I I I, mean, I tend to be a pretty introverted person. I'm not one to reach out immediately for new friends, and running has always helped me to bridge that gap and really find the people that I connect with, and and I think that also goes to sort of filling my soul and 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 making me more fulfilled as a person as, as well. Yep. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely that belonging and community. It's, it's like a basic human need almost, right. To, to feel part of something. So I love that. And I think a lot of us can relate to that answer. So final question before we ask you where you, uh, where we can find and follow you is, um, is there anything else you've mentioned bad water? Is there anything else on your race calendar coming up that you're excited about?
0: So uh, I mentioned that, like, uh, recovering from some of these races is getting harder and and tougher, and I – kind of coming off of the desert solstice was a little bit of a lull a lull or a low there. And then I just went to Black Canyon and didn't have the greatest mm-hmm. race and came off of that and felt very low. And so then it was kind of like I did have those thoughts of like, I'm too old, like I can't do this anymore. And so um, you know, right now I didn't want to spread my thinking too thin. So I'm mm-hmm. really focused on the Badwater thing. And I I swore that I wouldn't sign up for another race until I finished Badwater and was like, okay, I'm done with that. Along the way, I am doing um, the Canyons 100K. I still love the trail racing aspect. And I do think that racing is a great stepping stone to increasing your fitness for a goal race. So I I think that's a good way to work in something that's going to help me to achieve the Badwater. But I I mean, nobody, uh, like, I, I don't, Live with blinders on completely. And and so, like I said, that 100K, I went to um, to get the qualifier time. The 100K race, um, the World Championships, is in August, August 20th in Berlin. I think that I'll probably get bumped from the, the core U.S. team, but it, that race also is the World Masters Championship for the 100K. So I could still go and compete amongst the age group. Uh, my age group for a world master's title or a place ranking uh, with that. Um, and so that would be fun and that would be particularly exciting because in the summertime, uh, being able to bring my family with me and my kids who Mm -hmm. have been in school for a lot of the hundred K or for a lot of the world championship events. So being able to like, just go tour around Europe with them would also
1: be. What do they think about, about your running? Oh, I mean, this is kind of I, – I started running, I mean,
0: when they were really, really little. So, like, at this point, it's kind of just a piece of who I am. All I mean, they, they basically think it's crazy. I mean, my <laughs> – my daughter and my son have both gone to 24-hour events and um, have run them as well. And they just run their own pace and, and do whatever. And when they were like 8, 9, and 10, they thought it was kind of fun because they could eat all the stuff at the aid stations. And they were like, Woo, we just did 30 miles. And you're like, that's awesome, whatever. And now they're like, that's stupid. Why don't we just eat jelly beans? Why do we need to run to go eat jelly beans? And You know, my daughter is very big into softball and volleyball. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to do like that that boring sport that you do mom, but (laughs) I I don't really care that they run. I don't, I'm not really, it's not important to me, but I want them to know that like they have available to them running and that, you know, Mm -hmm. athletics and health and fitness are important things Mm -hmm. and that Mm -hmm. also setting big goals are, are important things. And so I, I hope that they just see the bigger picture from that. I don't necessarily need them to take like, become lifelong runners and I mean Mm -hmm. that's okay
2: you know they'll find their way yeah yeah well oh this has been such a great conversation thank you so much for coming on our podcast and speaking so freely about what your injury and your your awesome performance at Desert Solstice and we wish you all the best at Badwater and Worlds in Berlin it'll be exciting to see how the rest of your year shapes up for sure Thank you. Oh. And if things go really well,
0: I'll be back at Desert Solstice next year. Okay. <laughs> oh, watch <Excellent>. out, world.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and just, just finally, if people wanted to follow along with whatever you're up to next, um, is there a place you want to point people to?
0: Yeah. At Instagram, I'm rundoctor74
1: perfect we will put that in the show notes so again thank you so much it was wonderful meeting you and it'll be super fun to follow along with all of your uh, amazing adventures coming up